Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode 15. Space as a default infrastructure for national security and economy. To understand this issue, we have today with us Rose Crochet. Hi, Rose. Welcome to the Hello. podcast. Good morning. So glad to be here. Likewise, thank you very much for joining us and giving us your precious time. And I believe like today's topic uh, is much more wider in scope, uh, but is meant to actually not only educate the government but also the non-space sector and how they can actually contribute to the economy and defense as well. So as we'll be taking a deep dive into this topic, prior to that, can you please provide us a brief overview of your career, the organizations that you're associated with, and in general, your journey in the space sector? Sure. And I'd say uh, my story is a bit unusual. I started out in the humanities. So history and French were part of my undergraduate foundation. Later for graduate work, I, I did uh, uh, diplomacy and international commerce. So that's the academic foundation. But I also spent about 20 years in the U.S. Air Force. There I, I was exposed to space operations. But I spent half my career as a foreign area officer working primarily in sub-Saharan Africa, where I did a lot of program design and management. And then uh, leaving the Air Force, I joined a think tank called the Center for Global Development based out of D.C., and I worked there for uh, for a couple of years, and most recently I joined uh, the Department of Commerce in the Office of Space Commerce. Although, in today I'm speaking still in my capacity as a policy fellow with the Center for Global Development. Amazing! I think that's a quite a multidisciplinary track record of the career, and I believe we don't really have much think tanks in in the space sector. Uh, but glad to see such think tanks are now you know uh, which are not specializing in the space sector, but still taking an initiative and helping the people know about what is happening in the space industry. Uh, definitely, I, I, without a delay, I, I think we can take a dive into the topic at the moment. So as we have a broad audience also from defense and security fields, so can you tell us why space technology is essential for the modern world? Absolutely. Uh, space really, uh, I would argue, is uh, be, is becoming normalized. It's it's another type of infrastructure that any country should use deliberately, like developing roads or establishing a good and stable uh, electricity infrastructure. It's it's being used every day, uh, regardless of there being a particular space policy or an office. It's um, it's just a matter of whether or not a particular country is being deliberate about it. Uh, so that is that is kind of the root of where I started in my research and, and my current work, making a case for uh, normalizing space. You know, it, space I think often gets it in its own way. It's it's so uh, it's got such a cachet, the sort of science fiction 
glamour to it that it's not really considered to be as practical uh, as a practical tool alongside any other tool you would use to develop your economy or in our conversation, uh, enhance its ability uh, for, for defense. Amazing. I think one point you mentioned about the rails and roads, and I'd like to actually tell our audience that uh, there's a country called as Estonia uh, in Europe. Most people, I mean, they are aware about Estonia, of course, uh, but not much people in the South Asian region or the island nations. So Estonia is actually one of the countries which doesn't have its own satellite but it utilizes space applications literally even for the trams, metros as well. So I believe like, of course, later on, we can make definitely an episode on this too. Uh, but yeah, let's continue with this uh, exciting topic ahead. So Rose, in general terms, can you tell us how space technology is instrumental in benefiting the nation's economic dimensions? Yes. Uh, so Essentially, if you're going to talk in terms of space technology, there are three major themes of applications. Uh, the first is position, navigation, and timing, uh, which is uh, essentially GPS or, or BEDAO. There's numerous constellations that provide that service, and it's, it's free, essentially, so free data available globally from multiple constellations. There's remote sensing. Uh, very familiar, probably we've all seen it, you know, through Google Maps and and other displays. And then also uh, communications, and that can range from TV broadcasts to data backhauling to newer things like direct-to-the-user services like SpaceX's Starlink. Uh, combined, you know, these capabilities support multiple sectors. Often this is talked about, you know, in very futuristic terms, like the emerging 5G or even 6G enabled global internet of things. But I would say, you know, today, these satellite capabilities, these applications are already baked into routine communications infrastructure, finance, farming. Uh, you can put this in, you can translate this to uh, you know, thinking about uh, data backhauling, you can think about timing data for financial transfers used between different banks. You can think about uh, weather forecasts and, and farmers using this. So it's not necessarily um, always a, a picture on a screen. This is data that is used to communicate it in multiple ways, be it the radio or television or uh, text between people discussing whether or not the roads are, are muddy or not. They need to transfer their, their goods from point A to point B. Um, really, this is this is decades old technology at this point. Um, it's getting better and faster every day, but there are a lot of things a country can do to make it more accessible or more useful to that local economy. Um, also, you know, I'd really argue that the benefits of space technology aren't just found in in satellites themselves. You know, we should consider the opportunities found in value-added services of all kinds that combine and localize this position timing and navigation data, various types of remote sensing data. And you know the ability to extend communications to uh, to remote locations or other other situations to really address specific local problems. Pro problems, you know, are after all just another way of saying business opportunities. I'd argue um, a government can can help this along by building good foundations for any sector. You know, you talk about building uh, schools, STEM programs, um, making uh, financing more ac accessible, for example. But for leveraging space technology, a state can take additional discrete actions to make remote sensing and position navigation and timing data more useful, more accessible to the domestic economy, 
by creating a regional specific uh, spatial reference system. This, this can serve as a kind of bedrock for researchers, policymakers, and entrepreneurs to build upon, making it easier to integrate various kinds of data for numerous purposes. And it may be as it may not be as, as glamorous as a new launch facility, but this kind of framework activity can really accelerate uh, a local or, or regional economy. Definitely. I think you mentioned one really, I, I would say it's a very essential point. And as you are associated with the think tank as well. So do you believe in general the policymakers or the space policy has gained much more prominence after the uh, new space era has kickstarted where companies like SpaceX, OneWeb are coming in. So do you believe like the policy makers have got a you know, possible much more prominent role as compared to what it was before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for like any sector, uh, policymakers, government has a role in encouraging the de its developments, its its expansion. Um, so, you know, the, the foundational answer usually is, you know, hey, you need to have a good education, uh, a good school system, good STEM programs. You need to have accessible financing. You know, all of these are examples of sort of the routine answer for any kind of infrastructure or, or economic growth. But I'd say for space technology in particular, a state can take some very uh, discrete actions to make this make these kinds of uh, space applications more accessible, more user by a wider community. So um, I'm I'm a big fan. Of, well, everyone might jump to you know launching satellites or having a launch facility as the space thing to do to be a space actor. I'm much more interested in those framework actions, those standards development, the policy and regulation that is really um, much more tangibly useful to a wider range of uh, people and interests. So for example, a, a country could start by creating a regional specific spatial reference system. And this would really act as a bedrock for a wide community, researchers, policymakers, entrepreneurs, where they don't have to build everything from scratch. They've got a foundation to kind of build upon. And this makes it much easier to integrate various kinds of data for numerous purposes. So it could be data that's gathered on the ground combined with you know, remote sensing data or other capabilities. It's not, it's not very you know, glamorous to get into this. Um, it's, not, it's not as fancy as a new launch facility or something, but it is much more practically, pragmatically useful for the community. Um, this this kind of framework can really accelerate uh, a space economy and and, and use of, of existing space capabilities in general. Yes, I agree with you actually because uh, I I think we have seen this one side where you know the commercialization is increasing, policymakers are gaining prominence as well, and now we'll be at the, actually looking at the other side uh, because our topic deals with both national security and economy. So considering the growth of commercialization of the space industry, do you think uh, this has also somewhat increased the concerns for national security? Uh, yes, yes and no. Uh, I, I tend to think most about emerging space actors. So those that are just starting to use space technology. And so there's a lot of uh, you know, positive outcomes from, from having access to, to uh, position navigation and timing remote sensing data and communications. Uh, some, some applications used to be a purely national capability. So you did have to have a well-funded 
uh, NASA-like entity or a large Department of Defense with uh, the ability to, to do research and development and implement these technologies. But the commercial world has really flowered over the past couple of decades. So space as a service is more accessible than ever. So therefore, a country can, for example, uh, you know, concentrate the resources on developing what they they maybe need um, very locally or they consider to be most critical to have an independent capability. And they can, in a, in a modular matter, matter, in a modular way, just go out and, and acquire the capabilities they need. Um, so it's completely valid to mix mix and match what you need, you know, to, to make best use of limited resources. Um, you know, so some of those capabilities for defense, uh, you, you can use space to monitor extremely large areas at once, such as maritime territory, coastlines, borders, and particularly a smaller state that may have a, you know, a modest size, uh, a group of manpower to do, to monitor a border or maybe a limited number of ships, you know, having the ability to, to do this kind of large area of surveillance really makes uh, uh, resources you have that much more valuable. You can, you can use them, you can send them to the right place at the right time, as opposed to just kind of hoping you look out and, and catch, you know, an issue when you happen to be there. Um, you know, you can also uh, use space to connect uh, remote units, be it police or maritime or ground forces, uh, connect uh, equipment. It's, you know, there's just so many applications in the defense world that are they're applicable. And they're all, you know, they can all be, you know, pretty, I mean, not so um, uh, advanced that they're, they're out of a sci-fi movie. These are almost routine. In general, any security force uses satellites in some way for reconnaissance and surveillance, even if it's just Google Maps and being able to like draw a good, you know, a good concept of where the hills are that you have to plan for when you're going somewhere. Um, when I was in the UN, uh, I spent a year in the UN with the Democratic Republic of Congo with MINUSCO, the UN force there. Uh, we routinely <laughs> use satellite data to to build maps to get an idea about you know what was happening in very remote areas where we might only have a, a handful of blue helmets to respond. Um, and we were probably using a, a tenth of the actual capability that's within the reach of, of an organization like the UN. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason why I started working in this realm, because I realized, like, my God, people just don't know, you know, what what resources are at hand. And we, we need to invest more in, in that sort of implementation side, not just the data gathering side. Um, but anyway, you know, we use we use this kind of reconnaissance and surveillance data. I'm sure things like you know weather tracking is is it monsoon season or not? When is it going to end? Is there? Uh, yes. It's it's just kind of basic. And then you know communications and navigation are routine for any kind of planning activities or operations of all sorts. Um, you know, on the on the other side, uh, this this type of capability is is now widely available really to anybody. So you can call that uh, radical transparency or democratized intelligence. Um, frankly, it's just harder for a state to keep keep its secrets, you know, behind its border. You know, there's no rules saying there's no international law saying that a satellite can't image, you know, your territory as they're flying over. And in many ways, this is a very positive thing. You know, it opens up uh, your your you know opens up the world to legitimate opportunities for desirable activity like scientific or market research. Um, a negative note is that it's also available to uh, you know criminals or other nefarious actors to understand like what you or your forces are doing. So it's it's really a mixed bag, and it's best to at least understand uh, that environment. You can't assume that countries don't have access to uh, to what's happening with your people or your land or your sea um, at any given time. Yes, I think a lot of this uh, 
actually deals with the capability development, especially uh, you mentioned about your experience in the UN, uh, mm -hmm. you were serving in, uh, in the Republic of Congo. And I believe uh, you also have a book that is going to release in next few days, I would say. So can can you a little bit tell us about the book as well? Because I guess the audience will have a much more extended perspective uh, after the hearing your podcast, they'll have a much more extended perspective, you know, to get uh, a copy of your book as well. So please, uh, can you extend a little bit about what is your book and how it will help the readers to, you know, possibly consume the knowledge on the space capability development? Sure. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm very happy to do so. So so as mentioned, yes, but my past, and I had this uh, sort of foundation in space operations, and then I went on to do other kinds of work. And I think that time in the Congo was very formative because I kept seeing uh, opportunities where space technology would be applicable, but my colleagues just weren't familiar enough with it uh, to really be able to, uh, you know, immediately absorb it. They would default naturally. People would default to the things they're most familiar with because there's a lot to do and it's a high pressure environment. Um, and, and I would say I saw a, a similar pattern with a lot of the you know, program design and management and and capability and capacity. I was building, doing you know, writ large in in uh, sub-Saharan Africa through my military career. So this um, this stayed with me. And so I, I I when I when I left the Air Force and I joined the Center for Global Development, I was very interested in putting into practical terms, you know, how space could be used, no matter the budget, no matter the size. I that that there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, given given will, given political will and, and some modest resources, you could really have an outsized return. So this needed to be this needed to be written down. And, and that's what I spent uh, a year and a half doing at the Center for Global Development. So on the 10th of May, we're going to be releasing a book called The Handbook for Space Capability Development. It is designed to be, you know, ideally a, a pragmatic, uh, relatively succinct uh, handbook that walks through why any country should use space or should consider space as a resource, um, what, what that means. And I, I talk about a, a concept called uh, foundational space capability. And that means really the ability to fully leverage existing space infrastructure first. Uh, maybe you know, building a satellite or launching a small satellite of some sort is, is a very um, important component of a, of a greater space capability capacity building effort but it's not the main goal you know you you ideally launch a satellite to achieve something you know you're trying to get unique data you're trying to connect a particular area of your country that is currently unconnected you know you're trying to um, expand or make uh, local position navigation and timing more accurate for your particular geographic dynamics you know these these are that is the goal of a space program um and uh and that and that that is perfectly that is perfectly legitimate way to approach it. Um, and then the third part is all about program design, and uh, it's it's really kind of walking through the process of going from nothing to something, and then from something to something bigger and better in a very iterative way. Yes, thank you very much about this. Uh, uh, you know, extending about the book, and I would like to tell our audience that you know I'll be putting up a link. Uh, below the description of this podcast and so that you can access and see uh, what is this book about what is the event about uh, in general and you can if you are around the uh, area of the venue and you can actually attend this event in person as well so yeah uh, continuing with the questions ahead 
uh, I think the next this question is actually related to what we were speaking about the capability development. So in general, uh, the defense is now at large looking towards acquiring sp uh, satellite assets. For example, we, we have seen Space Development Agency, uh, which is primarily contracting, managing the satellite assets and services from the commercial sector. So do you think defense sector also needs to educate itself on the technical aspects of the space domain to avoid allocating over budgets and utilize new space technologies in an effective manner? Say, obviously, all sectors of government need to be more familiar with space applications and space capabilities in general to normalize the use of space like any other tool. Um, and I think uh, it's it's also, um, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a degree of, you know, developing specialization so that you have an expert at the table who can help you have a, a balanced conversation. So, for example, if you're if you're a, a uh, you know a smaller country, a developing country that is trying to leverage space and is reaching out to the commercial community to find you know applicable um, uses, you know for a reasonable price, having somebody at your table who's who who has your interests purely in mind is is very helpful, you know, to keep a, a balanced um, conversation and to make sure that you're you're actually getting uh, what you need. Um, that that is that is a very uh, important role, and I'd say. One of the reasons why it's important for any country to have some kind of space program, and and that that may be just an an advisor, like even a single person who who dedicates his or her time to understanding, uh, you know, a range of, of of space applications and supporting you know the technology behind that, and generally what it takes to actually implement it, you know, is 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 still super useful uh, to enable that maybe policy to vendor conversation. Um, and as you maybe you grow that advisor into a small office and they're able to further specialize. So you maybe have someone who's got um, you know more depth in in geospatial information systems in particular and can help you know a, a department of some sort, be it defense or agriculture or education, to to leverage that that technology you know for that department's uh, main purpose. So not everyone has to be a, a space expert, but a greater, general familiarity is very useful and then cultivating some experts within your own government who can facilitate a more technical conversation uh, is, is a very good path to take i absolutely agree with this uh, the point that you firstly mentioned is uh, all sectors of government need to be more familiar with space uh, i think because it's not only of course the defense is the prime consumer of the space resources satellites as well but there are several other sectors as well. For example, we see in the maritime domain, it's, it's not only the defense. There are fishing vessels as well. Uh, I, I'm originally from India, so I'd like to actually tell this that we have a vast coastline, uh, the Indian Peninsula. And it's an unfortunate thing that there have been several civilian incidents uh, where possibly the vessels have been lost or people, you know, are lost somewhere in the sea. And uh, one of the prime thing that is there that the government observed the gap is that you know there are no proper satellite resources or technology to actually help uh, the coast guards uh, to actually achieve that motive of you know uh, safeguarding the people on the coast. So I think I, I completely agree with this point that you mentioned uh, that you know it needs to be uh, it, it there needs to be an awareness in all sectors of the government rather than only just defense. So yeah. just actually following with this. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at this from a geopolitics and international security point of view. 
So there is a considerable amount of gap in the knowledge of space tech in both like defense and international office community. And given the fact that geopolitics is playing one of the key, uh, I mean, it is one of the key factors in the development of space assets globally. So from your perspective, how can we educate the defense sector and the international office community about space technology? Because I believe geopolitics is playing a lot of key role these days to help, I mean, push the governments to invest in space. Right, right, right. Well, I think uh, so, something's interesting about having both a development and defense background. Uh, the developing community tends to shy away um, when thinking about any capabilities used for for defense, right? And and the defense community doesn't think that deeply often about um, development, you know, sustainable development goals. But the reality is, uh, a country's motivation for developing a space capability is going to be a blend of both. You know, it's it's uh, no secret that you know security concerns may be a priority. You know, prior, being particularly concerned about um, a particular border region or, um, you know, a trend of piracy or concern about the safety of uh, fishermen in, in the particular treacherous waters, that, that might be the, the motivating thing that, that sort of concentrates political will and to a degree some resources to, to make uh, uh, the implementation of space uh, real. Um, but it doesn't have to be for a single use. I mean, that dual use capability goes both ways. You might um, be, you know, developing a, a program that that is, you know, concerned about maritime security, but you're also creating capabilities that that protect fishermen who who are getting lost. You know, um, a couple of a couple of notes. You know, uh, AIS is is the is the signal coming off of ships that was originally used to help ships find each other, not run into each other, uh, essentially, in, in, when they're in close proximity near a port. Um, but having this signal on is is something that satellites were able to detect. And this flipped over from a government program to a uh, to a, a publicly available data set that the UN essentially endorsed uh, for safety. And so any ship that has over a certain tonnage um, is supposed to have their AIS uh, uh, signal on and broadcasting. And this enables, you know, maritime, uh, um, uh, be it forces or monitoring entities, to be able to see what ships are moving around in their economic zone or near their near their shores. Um, and this is uh, and this is amazing, but it but that combined with weather data and understanding about ocean currents can also be uh, really revolutionary to support uh, safety. So if there's a ship that is broadcasting um, and the broadcast goes off and that sort of triggers an interest, and then and then because we understand uh, the currents of the ocean better because of again more remote sensing data then we're able to predict like, well, where could this potentially, you know, in distress uh, ship end up, you know, I mean, like, so, so you end up putting together these various pieces of data in new ways that have a lot of uses. Definitely. I think the, one of the important points you mentioned is about the combination of data, uh, especially the weather that you mentioned, uh, we can combine it with weather. And I believe a lot of this deals with the earth observation applications and I guess there can be a separate episode uh, on this where we can actually discuss uh, uh, how the you know the combination of data, uh, of course, in that the space data as well, can revolutionize the industries uh, in different sectors. Like we are at the at the moment in satellite communication, we are observing this with uh, the hybrid communications. In Earth observation, there are companies which are doing like uh, hybrid uh, usage of both the drones and the satellite uh, 
images uh, for example there are several companies on a local scale who don't have a market share beyond you know a certain region so for them i think this is a good way to utilize the space uh, data uh, but yeah definitely there can be a different episode on this uh, and i believe like we are actually uh, at the end of the episode now so finally rose i would like to ask you as a space technology expert uh, what message would you like to give to the government and the defense sector about the space technology especially in terms of you know educating themselves about space and to utilize it effectively for the welfare of the community absolutely absolutely well i guess my first message would be uh ironically space just isn't that special you know it's it's been around for a few decades and it hasn't been necessarily fully leveraged so uh, it needs to be considered with a, a practical, pragmatic eye. You know, how can we use this to advance whatever our you know national objectives are? And, and I would say, um, to, to put it in, in more um, uh, well-grounded uh, terms, uh, for for an economy, for example, many uh, regional development banks do studies to say, hey, where are your economic constraints? Like, where does your economy need to? Uh, what would you need to work on in order to help your economy to thrive? And, you know, uh, common bottlenecks are lack of internet connectivity, for example, but there's a whole laundry list, usually well-researched and, and, and done in collaboration with an in-country team, right? So it's not just someone helicoptering from, from you know, somewhere else to, to proclaim what your issues are. It's, it's, you know, built together, ideally. So you say, hey, this is it. And bringing, bringing space as another tool to the table or bringing a space expert to the table can really help you find well, where are the cost-effective uh, ways we could we could address this particular gap? You know, um, what what portions of our you know value-added um, applications you know, that can we can we encourage our local economy to address? You know, so for example, um, uh, if there's a particular con connectivity issue with a particular region, that could be a contest. You you inspire at a local university saying like, hey, help us address this particular thing, and keep space on your list of things to consider when you're talking about way to address it. You can, you know, put out a, a possible um, offer for a contract, you know, if there's a company that can provide a solution. I mean, you can come up with some pretty creative ways that include space to go after very concrete things or identified by other sectors. I mean, I, I think the space community tends to be a little too um, insular, you know, tend to look at each other or look inward and talk about how great space is, which we all, you know, I mean, I am I, one of them. I totally agree. But I think we should be more outward facing and in and in addition to doing our own space conferences, you know, show up to that water management conference, show up to that, you know, planning session for border security and talk about how these things apply to those problem sets um, without forcing everyone to become, you know, a self, a self-driven expert, right? Um, and so, you know, this this talks about like what is that, what is that knowledge gap? And and I'd say uh, you know, general orientation, uh, as much as you know about how highways work, you know, you should have a general idea about how satellites work. You know, it's, it's kind of adding as a plank of sort of foundational training and orientation for any, uh, you know, planner, city planner, policy planner, um, educator, like all of these professionals, um, should have at least a little bit in their, uh, in their academic foundation that, that addresses, uh, space. And then lastly, I'd say, uh, you know, not every country needs needs NASA. You know, you don't have to be able to do everything. Um, you you really can design and, and focus a program to make investments that are that are targeted to provide the most return. 
So it, it doesn't necessarily make sense for every country to have a launch facility. Maybe they have, um, you know, particularly great uh, location on Earth to support, um, you know, polar satellites, uh, polar orbiting satellites to download data before they flip around to the next hemisphere. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of natural resources and capability that can be leveraged that are that are more specific to your particular advantages. So um, I just encourage countries to to even you know form a small planning team. Run through what the run what the possibilities are, and then and then make an investment um, that that is uh, iterative. You know, so you may start with a seed and then kind of grow steadily over over a decade. You know, to something that that is more what you're ideally going for, but in a sustainable, um, organic way. Absolutely, I think the addressing the knowledge gap is very important, as you mentioned, uh, and I believe. Uh, uh, we have a, a large amount of audience from the United States, uh, but we are also now gradually building up uh, the audience from the Asian, Latin American, and the African region for the podcast. And this is my whole motive for the podcast is to, you know, address the knowledge gap, help people become more aware about uh, the space technology, not only in the, you know, international office community, but defense, economic, and other sectors as well. Uh, so again, uh, so Rose, thank you again for the you know wonderful insights, and I believe that there have been I think a lot of questions uh, that have popped up during the discussion, and I I believe we can definitely do some follow up episodes uh, in future, and yeah, please feel free to also tell about your book. Uh, you know, lastly, because we as I mentioned, we have a, quite a lot of audience from the United States. So if some some of our audience is you know willing to come for this event, they can definitely come. Thank you, Ankar. It's been such a pleasure and such an honor to have this opportunity to talk about this. Uh, and uh, uh, so details for the Handbook for Space Capability uh, Development will be uh, officially released on the 10th of May at uh, this, the Center for Global Development headquarters in Washington, D.C. We have an open invite. It includes breakfast. Um, please go to uh, cgdev.org and you can find uh, general information about it there. You can also uh, attend virtually. Uh, I plan to provide a, a lightning presentation of uh, space capability development. So a very you know compressed version with graphics, which, uh, which should be pretty fun. And then we'll have a, a really incredible moderated discussion with the um, Africa uh, Space Development Institute uh, with representatives from uh, the Secure World Foundation, myself. It's going to be a great, a great and, and relatively short uh, event. So I hope anyone who's interested, uh, please do join us. Definitely. Thank you very much, uh, Rose, again, for the, you know, your time and wonderful insights. Uh, I'll be actually adding the links to the event and the other related links uh, that Rose will be forwarding me uh, below the description section of the podcast. Thank you, Rose. Have a good day. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share, and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.